the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. episode of Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the Deadwater Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? Hello, Shag. I'm always happy to be podcasting with you once again. <laughs> Hasn't been that long, has it? Uh, I guess you had a couple weeks off, right? With Legion and Justice League, I think? Uh... No, no, I just had one week off. I was just trying to be nice. That's all. Oh, wow. I, I didn't recognize it. Yeah, well, I always figured if you liked it, I could always stop. <laughs> well, I think I'm giving you a week off coming up again, so uh, I'm, I'm kind of okay with giving you some time off. You know, just recharge your batteries. You know, we all understand the pressures that are on you and your <laughs> questionable performance challenges, let's just say. So if you need the time to recharge your batteries, it's fine with us, buddy. I'm it's producing okay. nine shows for the network. I'm a little busy. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, folks, we are here for our monthly review, or bi-monthly, tri-monthly. Monthly. <laughs> We're here for our re- our annual review episode <laughs> where we talk about some issues of Aquaman and Firestorm comics. Uh, truthfully, what sort of launched the network, this show. So uh, it's good to get back to it. Now, uh, we've been doing this a while now. This is episode 194. I think uh, if I get out my spyglass, I see something on the horizon. What am I seeing there, Rob? Uh, 195, I think. Yeah, probably that. <laughs> no, of course. Also, yes, uh, we are coming down the mountain, uh, approaching uh, Fire and Water number 200. Oof. Which is, yeah, which is unbelievable uh, that we've done 200 of these things. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I don't want to know how many shows we produce for the network right. itself. Right, plus who's I mean, who and plus all oh the gosh. other things. Yeah, hundreds. I mean, you know, add Ryan and Cisco's output and right. you know, Chris's and everything, and just hundreds and hundreds. But 200 of these Aquaman, well, sometimes Aquaman and Firestorm-related episodes. 
Yeah, occasionally we did something else. But anyway, we we the reason we're mentioning it now is because we wanted to get into what is what exactly we're going to be doing for Fire and Water number 200. And of course, for number 100, we did our big JLA uh, number 200 extravaganza with a bunch of guests. And we had Jerry Conway, which was awesome. So Woo! we decided we're going to do something a little different this time because we haven't had a chance to do as much listener feedback as we used to. We used to do it all the time. And kind of because we sort of uh, have such breaks in between these shows now, we do digest casts and we do other things that... We, we haven't been doing feedback as much as we would like to. So we're going to kind of go and do something where it re-involves everybody, all you guys, everybody that listens to the show because we are so happy that people listen to the show and we have such a great feedback community. So we're going to do a Fire and Water AMA. And, of course, for people who don't go to Reddit, which is something I think all of you shouldn't do is go to Reddit. And that's, an, <laughs> <laughs> that's an ask me anything. And So the way we're going to do it is using the form on the website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. Got.com. I couldn't get that right. Firewinterpodcast.com. <laughs> Send us a question. And it really can be about virtually anything. It could be podcast related, comic related, geek related, or life related. We And we will do our best to answer it as honestly as possible. It could be a question for Shag. It could be a question for me. It could be a question for, for both of us. It doesn't matter. We really want to kind of have just a fun back and forth about stuff that we maybe haven't had a chance to talk about over the course of 199 episodes previous. <laughs> so we said, no. use couple constraints one now uh try not to give us anything that's going to require a whole bunch of deep research like yeah no no, no research and compare. Yeah, no, yeah yeah no 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 i don't want to i'm not looking to do re- yeah big treatises this is just stuff that <laughs> shag and i can sort of answer off the top of our heads yeah. kind of thing with that would now, make it more now our questions about your time in prison are those off limits or are those okay those are a matter of public record so okay I really don't Fair enough. I, I, just... can, I can avoid them want to put it out there. Uh, I thought I had those records sealed. No, no, no. They, really, it can be pretty much anything. And obviously, you know, some things you might send us, we're not going to answer, but for the most part, we're going to do our best. <laughs> what, is, what is your social security number? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, I am sure Gutierrez is going to ask stuff that there's no way I'm going to answer. But for the most, for the rest of you, yes, yeah, send in your questions using the using the contact form on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Send them between now and episode, what, the end of 199 when that gets posted, and we will, Shag and I will corral them all together, and and then we will answer them on episode number 200. We just figured that would be a fun way of getting everybody reinvolved. So send your questions in to fireandwaterpodcast.com. I mean, it's certainly not like the most original thing. I mean, lots of people have done this sort of concept no. of podcast, but you guys have been such a critical part of this show since the very beginning that it's, it just seems very fitting that uh, you guys be here for the end. Because after that, I'm, I'm walking out of this joint. So, Oh, I'm sure anyway. some of the questions will hasten the end of the show. Of that, I have no doubt. <laughs> Rob and I just won't be speaking to each other after that one. Um, I had a couple of things I want to talk about real quick, if that's okay. I have been – okay, I'm a Firestorm fan. I feel comfortable <laughs> saying that – I know, shocker. I feel comfortable saying I am probably the loudest, proudest Firestorm fan on the planet. Uh, maybe not as passionate as some of the young guys who are really getting into the, the TV shows and stuff. But, I mean, nine years I've been cheerleading this character. I feel like I kind of earned that title. And I've struggled with the show DC – Legends of Tomorrow. I've talked about it here on the show a little bit. Wasn't enjoying it. Stopped watching it. Uh, my comment mainly was, if you have a TV show with Firestorm and the biggest Firestorm fan in the world can't watch your show, there's a problem. Uh, so I've, got, I've taken a lot of heat for that from some people who who, who are fans of the – What's heat. that? You've taken heat? Whoa! The heat is on! Uh, taking some heat from some of the D-Clot fans. And I got a little bit of pressure the last couple of months from Michael Bailey and from Tom Zoller. You might have heard of that guy. And both of them said that 
the show has gotten better in second season. And I'm like, well, I don't really care. It means better than crap is only a little bit better than crap. But uh, finally I caved and one day I was in bed. I was kind of sick and uh, I ended up shotgunning, I think the last six or seven episodes of the second season and damn, they were good. I mean, so for everyone who has said the second season of Legends Tomorrow would improve, you are absolutely correct. I am here to say that I didn't give it a fair shake, and I loved watching those. At my, my daughter sat down and watched a bunch of them with me, too. We were really into the storyline and the thread that was going through there, and it was a lot of fun, and I enjoyed it. So Legends Tomorrow Season 2 gets a big thumbs up for me, folks. So definitely check it out. It's fun to see Firestorm in action, too. And speaking of Firestorm, because he's everywhere right now, uh, he's also in the Justice League action cartoon. So, But if you're a fan, obviously if you're listening to the show, you might be, go out to – there's some there's some new Firestorm figures that are coming out through the Justice League action line. One is at the Sonic, you know, like the, the fast food joint Sonic. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys have those in New yeah. Jersey. Yep, yep, yep. They have a little like giveaway, like Happy Meal toy that's Firestorm. Unbelievable. He's a Happy Meal toy. Again, unbelievable. Then they also have a 12-inch – version of Firestorm that's out in the stores right now. Supposedly it's Walmart. I haven't seen it yet myself, but these giant 12-inch stores, uh, t- they have lots of Marvel and DC ones. You see them around. They're all kind of the same scale, which is kind of cool, but they have a 12-inch Firestorm one now from Justice League Action, and I just saw today they have a, a three-pack of what they call Mighty Minis with Batman, Mr. Freeze, and Firestorm. So you know that one's going to sell like hotcakes. It's freaking got Batman in it. So very exciting. I, I It's such a good time to be a Firestorm fan. Let's not take it for granted, folks. Let's go out there and vote with our dollars that we want want more Firestorm merchandise, please. All right. Well, with that, we should probably take a moment to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collector editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob? Well, I have plugged every Aquaman book they have multiple times at this point. So I decided to do something a little different, uh, kind of pivoting off uh, the last show we recorded together, which was the first episode of my Mountain Comics show Woo-hoo! for FW Presents. I'm plugging Alpha Flight. Yes, this is in this case it's Alpha Flight Classic Trade Paperback Volume Two. It reprints nice. Alpha Flight numbers nine through nineteen and X Men number one hundred nine, which I believe is Alpha Flight first appearance. I think that's right. X Men one hundred nine. Uh, I normally would have. I think, it's, I think it's Vindicator's first appearance. Okay, all right. I normally would have started with Alpha Flight number one, but number since this one is nine through nineteen, that of course features number twelve. Which is one of the one of the great comics of all time. It's by John Byrne, Chris Claremont, the artist by John Byrne. Two hundred ninety six pages. Uh, the normal price is twenty nine ninety nine. This must be a hardcover. It doesn't mention here, but it must be a hardcover. And the in stock trades in stock trades price is fourteen ninety nine. That's fifty percent off. These comics are so fun. They're just if you've never read John Byrne's Alpha Flight, do yourself a service and get these. These are just terrific. So Alpha Flight Classic Volume Two. Doing the Lord's work there, Rob. I tell you, man. Whew. They're great. They're really good. I mean, Burn on Alpha Flight was, no pun intended, killer. I, I, <laughs> you're not going to get any argument out of me. I mean, you know that. So uh, I picked one sort of at random this time as well. I picked, because uh, it was on the front page and I was in a hurry, the <laughs> last days of the Justice Society of America trade paperback, which is not what I thought it was at first. <laughs> I was remembering America versus the Justice Society, which is what I thought this was. But this is actually interesting in and of itself, so it's definitely worth checking out. Last Days of Justice Society of America. This uh, It's by Roy Thomas and, and Danny Thomas, and Dave uh, Ross did the artwork. Michael Bayer did some uh, did the cover art. Basically, remember that special right after Crisis when, they, when DC kind of looked at itself in the mirror and said, look, Earth 2, you got to go. 
We only got our, we only got the one Earth now. And they did that special called Last Days of the JSA, which sure. whisked, whisked all the JSA off to Ragnarok. It is one of the greatest crimes in comic book publishing history to take the JSA off the table for so long. However, but because they did that for 10 years, it probably allowed us to appreciate the JSA's return, and they've been mostly going strong ever since, really. So um, it includes that. Again, Last Days of Justice Society, uh, special number one, and a bunch of stories from Secret Origins. So Ryan Daly should be thrilled about that. It includes Secret Origins 7, 9, 11, 13, 15, 16, 18, 20, 24, 25, and 31. Look at that. That's awesome. All told, it's 336 pages, full color, normally retails for $29.99. You can get it for 50% off right now, so it's only $14.99. That's a hell of a deal. And while that that special, I'm sort of making fun of it and you know the crime that it committed by taking the JSA away, it's still a good read. And it's an important part of you know comic book history, so definitely check it out. Last Days of the Justice Society of America trade paperback. And for these and all your uh, – trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Okay, so we have got just a few comic books to cover here. Um, Aquaman, we're going to be covering five comics because it's been a long time since we talked about it, and they apparently publish it twice a week now. And Firestorm, uh, we've this is where, we've been promising this for the last couple of months. We said we were going to start to accelerate the speed on Firestorm. Rather than covering one issue at a time, we're going to start covering them in clusters. So this time out, it's going to be our first time we're going to cover three issues, and I'm going to do Page by page, panel by panel analysis. It should be. Lo- I'm just kidding. No, I've, I've tried to bring my summaries down a bit, folks. And uh, I made Rob maybe do word count and everything. It was it was a sad moment. But anyway, uh, I think we're going to do Aquaman first. Is that fair to say? We're going to do Aquaman first. Yes. Yep. Then Firestorm. Then we're going to do your listener feedback from the last review episode. So, oh, Rob, so much to do. Let's get going. Okay. We're get it done like that. That's right. So uh, we were going to pick up where we left off, which was Aquaman number seventeen. So this is Aquaman number eighteen. The title of the story is Superpower by Dan Abnett, Scott Eaton, Wayne Foucher, and Gabe Eltabe. At Beckman College, the Secret Service is searching for Aquaman after he took off so quickly. For his part, the Sea King seems to be in the middle of a war zone, but it all might be an illusion. There alongside him is Warhead, from whom Aquaman is trying to determine who this guy is and what he wants and how to defeat him. Aquaman then manages to peer into Warhead's mind and see that he is a Chinese national and a veteran suffering from PTSD. Warhead says he sent something inside Aquaman's mind, and he explains that for a moment, Aquaman saw how everyone in New York saw him. So most of them fear him. He realizes he's now feared by many of the people he has sworn to protect. The Secret Service finally make their way in, and the Sea King, sea King explains that there are treatments in Atlantis that can help Warhead. Aquaman takes a trip back to Amnesty Bay, and waiting for him is one of the Aquamarines, a Major Rico. She's there to get Aquaman's help with dead water. Dun, dun, dun. There we go. See, I zip right through that thing. Uh, yeah, this this whole we're doing the commentary between it like in one issue at a time instead of doing them all at the end. Uh, this whole Warhead thing just didn't do much for me. I, this villain, I didn't connect up with this villain. I didn't really see what the point of it was. Uh, yeah, this, this these are sort of this two issue Warhead thing was sort of my least favorite of the of the Abnet run to date. You know, I'm I'm not gonna say you're wrong. Um, I feel like. Because what we're about to get into is another arc with Deadwater, obviously. So, and I'm wondering if he's setting up a pattern because we had two issues of Deadwater a while ago, right? And that was it. It was just two issues and it was over. Then we, if I remember right, maybe I'm wrong there, but I thought it was just two issues of Deadwater, and then we moved on. And now we've got a, like a four issue arc of Deadwater. I'm wondering if we're going to have a two issue arc on on Warhead 
and then come back and have a longer arc with him afterwards. Because it does seem like they're setting him up to go join like the the Atlantis, maybe become a supporting character in Atlantis. Like he'll either become a supporting character or he's perfect to set him up by putting Warhead in Atlantis and then have a bad guy manipulate him. And you know, then they're suddenly yeah. they have the enemy on the inside kind of thing. Looking ahead as to what's the what the the general synopses are for the twenty three on, it doesn't look like that. But hmm. of course, by having him in Atlantis, yeah, you could bring him back at a moment's notice. Yeah, um, I thought the co- something on the cover jumped out of me. It may be just because of my sci fi nerdishness. You know, no escape from forever war, and like I don't know that that really sum- summarizes the issue itself. So what it makes me wonder is there's there's a famous sci fi book. I don't know if you've ever read it called Forever War. I have. By Joe- Okay, by Joe Haldeman. Really great book. Um, and I don't see how it connects to this story necessarily, but I don't know. I, it, it, it's buzzing in the back of my head. It's, it's a book I enjoyed. So, you know, uh, I really enjoyed Scott Eaton's artwork on this issue. I thought it was really, really good. I like the full page where we get to see all the different people yeah. uh, reacting to Malcolm. That's a nice page where it's all done in blues in the background. And we see people, some people fear him. Some people still think he's a joke. Like that, that's a really nice page. It was interesting to see that, you know, just the every, how everyone everyone now has an opinion on Aquaman, where before they didn't, or they thought he was a joke. So yeah, it looks like a, it looks like Aquaman with Cerebro. Yeah, yeah, very. That's a very good analogy. Yep. Yeah. So overall, yeah, um, not my favorite. It wasn't it wasn't bad by any means, but not my favorite. No, it wasn't like oh my god. There's no, but it's just it just I just didn't really hook up with this at all. The character yeah. of Warhead just didn't do much for me or whatever. So I was like, okay, fine, whatever. So I was yeah, glad about- that it wrapped up fairly quickly. How about that variant cover, though, with Aquaman swimming with all the sharks? Well, the, yeah, I mean, all these variant covers by Joshua Middleton are just off the chain. Fantastic. Every one of so, them. Some, I'm like, a couple months ago I, with you, this time I'm like, some are good, some are okay. Some this are better than great. others, but but yeah. I'd say the, the, the quality level, like, you know, like, there are none, I would say, lower than like a B plus. Okay, know? that's, so, yeah, yeah. I'll give you that. Very, yeah. very consistent quality on these these. Mm-hmm. Covers by Middleton. So, okay, Aquaman number 19, H2O Part 1 by Dan Abnett, Philippe Briones, and Gabe Eltan. Aquaman, Mira, and two of the Aquamarines head to the Gulf of Mexico where a sinkhole has opened up that is the source of the strange water that gave dead water his powers. There's a Navy research base there, but they've lost contact with it. At the base, among others, is the ex-villain, the Scavenger, now confined to a wheelchair. They break into the base but find it empty, except for bizarre creatures kept in tanks. One of the agents, a man named Ollie, finds himself face-to-face with Deadwater, who springs forth from just the tiniest sliver of water in the shower room. Scavenger, thinking Deadwater was, in fact, dead, begins to panic, and just then the creature springs out of some nearby tanks. To be continued. <laughs> See, I'm good. Get right through these. I tell you. All right. Um, this felt a lot like a lot of other stories I've read, where there's a mystery at a science place, a bunch of characters go there, you know there's a, you know, sort of an atmospheric, like, what's going on, what's going on, where are the people, and then the monster comes out of the end, you know, right. kind of things. No, nothing wrong with it. It was fine. I like the Aquamarines. I I shouldn't like them. I don't know. They remind me of the old Tiger Sharks cartoon. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I kinda, they do I just, have a little bit of that, yeah. I, I just think they're an interesting addition to the Aquaverse. You know, I kind of like, mean, I love Aquaman's world getting expanded, and here is an American component to his world. So I thought it's kind of cool. I'm a little tired of seeing a scavenger, but um, I don't know. That's eh, okay. okay. All right. I will say Deadwater was genuinely scary, this issue. Like, his presence felt sort of Ridley Scott first alien scariness. Kind of, well, yeah, we'll yeah we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, there's a character uh, in this book uh, whose last name is Ballard, and I just maybe for for Dan Abnett's own entertainment, since he likes to give characters names that are, have mean something, I'm always assuming that that is a reference to Bob Ballard, the professor of oceanography. 
Like he's like oh, a real, wow. he's a real life guy. That name okay. just sort of jumped out at me, so I'm wondering if that's what it is. Hmm. No. Interesting, clever. All right. Yeah. And I think you said the name of the storyline wrong earlier. I think you just said H2O. It's yeah. H2.0, which is like the, oh. the, that's what they're calling this weird water. Okay. All right. H2. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> a little too clever for its own good. Huh? Okay, all right. So, yeah, uh, Aquaman number 20, H2.0, part two, by Dan Abnett, Philippe Rions, and Gabe Eltiab. Aquaman faces off against Deadwater. Mira helps by removing all the nearby water, which causes Deadwater to take off. While they try and fortify the base to keep Deadwater out, Aquaman works on an ongoing project at the base, which generates a deterrent field. The scavenger, who's doing a whole game over, man, game over uh, stuff, <laughs> helps with it. And when Deadwater reappears, they blast him with it, turning Deadwater back to a human. Two of the Aquamines shoot the guy, killing him. Aquaman and Mira have determined that whatever is emanating from the sinkhole is turning people into Deadwaters. So they grab some scuba gear and investigate it firsthand. After they leave, some of the Aquamarines and Scavenger discuss some of the files they found, and they learn that the man who transformed into Deadwater this time never went into the sinkhole, so it's not the water. It's someone else uh, is the culprit behind this. Meanwhile, Aquaman and Mira see glowing cracks in the bottom of the ocean floor. Uh, To be continued. Yeah, I mean, this, you mentioned uh, Alien. This, This issue is basically Aliens. It's yeah. just basically it's just everybody in this in this base, and they're trying to fortify it away from the alien who can appear out of nowhere. Uh, and you've even got Scavenger, like I said, doing the Hudson bit because he's panicking. He's like, "Oh my god, we're going to die, man!" So this is just completely aliens. There's nothing wrong with ripping off aliens because aliens is a classic, but it's completely alien. And uh, I, there's a term. Doctor Who fans use to describe certain stories because Doctor Who stories tend to fall in a pattern after 50 years, and and maybe it's a common story trope description, but base under siege is uh, is what right, we call sure, it. Sure. Okay, so that's a common thing. All right, this is definitely your typical base under siege story. You know, you've got your characters contained in one area and they're being attacked and they've got to find a way to survive. So yeah, a couple things I enjoyed. Um, I'm really digging Felipe Briones' art, especially in this issue. I just thought it was really nice everybody's on point there's some really great shots there's like one there's 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 a weird panel that i just i'm in love with it's it's a shot where they're kind of looking a little bit above looking down at the table it's where they're looking at that gadget the mysterious tech that was left over Mm -hmm. and the blonde fbi agent is we're looking at her from behind and she's standing there with her legs crossed behind her and her right ankle is bent like a skew like like someone standing there moving their feet. It looks so real and so natural. Like hmm. it's not something an artist would ever draw. But I like I stand there all the time and bend one ankle. It's just I do that often. It's like that just looks real. I just I don't know. A lot of little little things like that I really enjoy. Yeah. And and bringing out the big bombs just reminds me of Stargate. Okay. <laughs> when the movie that is the movie. Right. right I assume so. Uh, okay. Uh, we'll move on to Aquaman number twenty one, which is H two point part three, by Dan Abnett, Scott Eaton, Wayne Foucher, and Gabe LTM. Aquaman and Mira feel and see a giant glowing pulse at the bottom of the sinkhole. It appears to be some sort of gate. Every fiber of their body tells them they should leave, but as Mira said, well, we've come this far. Our heroes join hands and dive. Back in Atlantis, Tula is being grilled by members of the Royal Council about Aquaman not being back home yet again. At the Navy base, there is a discussion, an argument really, about how to handle it if more dead waters appear. They finally get a transmission from Aquaman who says it appears they have been transported into another world. Via telepathy, Aquaman learns that this land is called Tethys in all water world. 
Aquaman tells Mira that Tethys turns intruders into dead water if they experience too much fear, potentially turning anyone into a dead water. Aquaman and Mira head back. They communicate that anyone with a high level of fear be isolated, but the message comes too late. Scavenger finds himself face to face with another dead water. To be continued. I, I like Tula standing up for, the, for uh, Aquaman. I like that. I, it's because I'm. I know you dread the Atlanta stuff, but like I, I enjoy seeing you know that aspect of it. I like the way they've set that up with Tula right now. I like that Tula is the one handling it. I, I really. I mean, it seems so dumb that Atlantis keeps assigning Aquaman to be king, and then they're like, "Well, he's never here." Well, of course he's never going to be here. He's a superhero. Like, stop doing that. Stop, <laughs> stop giving him the gig. Ah, they never learn. They should know better. They really should. should know uh, the aqua telepathy thing, uh, the, where he's communicating with the planet and he just intuitively knows stuff. Like, I think I like that. <laughs> it sounds weird. It's like I have to actually think about it. It's like it feels like a bit of a story cheat. Yeah, it's but... a little, uh, it's a little tell instead of showing kind of thing. It's yeah, just, it's just Aquaman going, "Oh, I, I feel this. I feel that." Yeah. Maybe that's why I feel cheated. I like it. It's a neat sci-fi con. I mean, along the same lines, the sci-fi concepts in there between the aqua telepathy thing and then that the fear turns people into dead waters as, as rejection sort of thing. That's kind of a cool concept. It's, it's interesting. I like it. I'm not a huge fan of the dead water on the last page, though, artistically. Um, it's a uh, very cartoonish, exaggerated versus the other dead waters we've seen. It's got breasts. So, right, because it's one of the agents. It was the woman turned into dead water. Sure, but Deadwater is so non-human looking in right, general. Why all of a sudden it, does it have sexual the human characteristics? characteristics. Yeah. Exactly. So that means that the Deadwaters do take on the characteristics of its host because we learned in this issue that it's alien. It comes from other worlds and, and is, you know, obviously Deadwaters have been created on other planets. So I guess when they're created, they, maybe this, this red body and, you know, is the common factor, but like the number of limbs and the way the face is shaped and, and the body shape is, is maybe that's unique to the, to the hosts. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, you know, like I'm not huge on Deadwater coming back just because it's, there's not a lot of character to Deadwater. It's just a giant monster, but at the same time, you know, I've complained and Aquaman fans complain that like, you know, he doesn't have many other villains and you know, it's like, Oh, black, black mana again. So, you know, here's Abnet trying to do a different villain. So, okay, you know, give it a give it a chance. I like the idea that the scavenger has been converted into – like, he's not so much not a bad guy anymore because of his physical injuries. Like, he can't be a villain anymore, and he's just living in utter fear. Like, that, that's a fun <laughs> he's Doctor, He's Dr. Smith? <laughs> yeah, he's right. He's just – like, I like that idea that he's had to give up that – his whole bad guy career because he was so injured by dead water. So I like that's a yeah. whole thing. And, you know, we'll see in the, in the next issue, like he goes to extreme lengths to, to fight off the dead water. So I like, I mean, you know, you could argue probably not the greatest idea to bring a supervillain in with you on your plan, but you know, this is the DC universe. People do stuff like that. So as much as I'm kind of digging the dead water stuff, and I did like this storyline actually, and I love the water concept where you know, where Mira can like suck the water out of their bodies and stuff right. like that. Yeah, that that makes is, dead water slither away because Mira and Mira is the one that can fight him off. Right. It just I sit back and go, could they have told this same story with the trench? Hmm. Because they were a pretty big deal not too long ago. Well, actually, I guess now it's been like five years, but but and they're also you know mindless monsters, you know, in mass kind of thing. So I, I don't think so. I do feel like it's two distinct stories, but there are definitely some similarities between the trench and the dead waters. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're supposed to feel a little more for, about the the dead waters because we know that they're human. Oh, that's true. They've been yeah. converted, but the, but the fact that this second dead water is 
converted from somebody we've never met. It doesn't have a whole lot of, like, you're like, okay. I mean, at least the first Deadwater, you kind of met that guy, and you got to know him a little bit, and you knew that he didn't want to be converted into this monster. But, you know, the second Deadwater, you're just like, okay, this is just somebody we haven't met before. It doesn't have any great emotional resonance to it. But yeah. I like the, the Waterworld stuff. I mean, I think that's fun that Aquaman can you know, Aquaman doesn't get to go to other planets, obviously, because he, he's not Superman. He, he can't travel through space. So you get to cheat a little and use tele- you do a teleportation where you yeah. have to do another dimension. So I like that. And him going to an old water world, that's that's cool. I like those concepts. Yep. So, yeah. yeah not bad. So, okay, now final issue uh, that we're uh, talking about. Aquaman number 22, which is H2.0 Part 4. Dan Abnett, Philippe Briones, Gabe Eltiab. With yeah. the most amazing variant cover ever. Yeah, they're, they're, he's he's really killing it on these covers. I mean, it's 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 a shot of Aquaman just swimming in a wave. It's a close up, just basically of his face and shoulder. But wow, yeah, it's a great face. This is gorgeous. Very, great face, great, very great face. Yeah, I, I like that they that he toggles back and forth between sort of these postery images and something that's related to the book. I mean, a couple of the other ones are specifically about Deadwater, but this one yeah. is just more like a poster. Uh, which I really, yeah, it's really beautiful. I and mean, it's all the sun's always shining. I like it yeah. kind of in his in the Joshua Middleton's Aquaman world, which I like a lot. This one so. looks very Silver Age. looks yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the Aquamarines try and stop Deadwater, but it manages to get its teeth into Scavenger and turn him into one as well. See, he was worried, and he, was, he had a right to be worried. Aquaman <laughs> and Mira arrive. They drive them off again, thanks to Mira, and work on breaking the signal from the sinkhole. Unfortunately, they're on a time clock because the Scavenger has armed a nuke at the base and jammed the safety to boot. Aquaman grabs the suitcase the nuke uh, is contained in and heads into heads into the sinkhole despite Mira's protestations and without scuba gear. I'll hold my breath, he promises. The bomb goes off and does just what Aquaman hopes, breaking contact. Everyone is saved, except Mira strangely looks unhappy. Later that night, Mira chastises Aquaman for using brute force to solve a problem instead of trying to understand the world of Tethys. Uh, she says he treated Tethys like the surface world treats Atlantis. Meanwhile, back in Atlantis, the terrorist known as Wrath has a bright light shined in his eyes. He asks who was there, and a hooded figure simply says, Wrath, your hour has come. Is that one of the Deluge, Deluge members? Yes, the, the head of the Deluge. Okay. So right. they were bringing him back. So, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, okay. I, I like Aquaman throwing the giant nuke, suitcase nuke. Like, that's fun. I think Mira's getting a little tough on him. To kind of be like, oh, yeah. you didn't even talk to Tethys. Like, he had a nuke that was going to go off. He didn't have a whole lot of time to really get into all this kind of thing. But I also appreciate the idea that, you know, that, yeah, he was treating the world as he would not want Atlantis to be treated. I'm going to take it a step further. Because you, you opened the door, and it's actually in my notes as well. I'm going to call complete bullshit on that argument, actually. Be, not you, but on Mara's response. Because all through this series and the previous one, she's been sort of the, the active warmonger. She's been the one that goes to She broke prison. him out of prison when he Thank went, you. Yeah. Exactly what I was about to say. Yep. She's the one that Aquaman's always just holding back on. Come on, honey. Wait, wait, wait. Let, I, I got another solution. Let me try mine thing first. And she's always ready to go to war. And this time, it's like a complete role reversal. So I don't actually have a problem with Aquaman blowing it up because it does seem like the logical thing. But Mera's response to me is like, whoa, come on. That's out of left field. No way. I, that's out of character. I don't, I don't buy that. All right. It, it really didn't sit well. Yeah, when I read it, I thought, boy, she's being really harsh on him. Now, I mean, we only we don't we don't see the end of the conversation, so maybe they'll go on and you know next is she's like, oh, you're right, Arthur, I was completely wrong. But uh, you know, I mean, and it doesn't go on real long. It's like a page. 
right. not yeah. that huge of a deal. But yeah, it's, I think she was being a, a little tough on him. And again, he's got a suitcase nuke that never should have been armed. Uh, I mean, I think really you shouldn't have nukes that just one person can arm. That's probably not a great <laughs> idea, just as a, you know, FYI. Right. Uh, you know, but uh, okay. Again, this is the DCU, and this is how this stuff happens. This, this, things just happen like that. So, oh, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was gonna say overall, like I, you know, I liked the Deadwater stuff. I certainly liked it more than I liked Warhead. Uh, and I'm happy that we're not doing Black Mana or Ocean Master again. So, you know, I, <laughs> what? No, you're right. I mean, yeah, I mean just, it's nice you know, to have so many different. Yeah, it really I mean, is. It, I mean, he did right. I mean, that is part of Aquaman's problem. He doesn't have a Batman, Flash, Spider-Man, Rogues Gallery, or even like Hulk or Superman to draw upon. And so you kind of have to constantly go back to the well with these same three or four villains, and it gets a little old. So, you know, I appreciate any one of the Aquaman writers that tries and brings something new in. I don't think Deadwater's new form is terribly compelling but that's okay you know I, I think maybe four parts is probably a little too long but but again you know it's fine uh we're not gonna have to deal with this sort of burning through story ideas because after this aquaman goes back to monthly uh, they're <gasps> really moving, yes they're moving it off the bi-weekly schedule and of course you'll notice through all the issue reviews i never much i never once mentioned brad walker he doesn't do any of these issues because brad walker is off the book is he really? I yes. was gonna because all almost all these are um, there's some one Scott Eaton and I think all the rest were Philip Felipe uh, Briones, Fri- wasn't it? Yeah, uh, they continue to do the next two issues, twenty three, twenty four, and then as of Aqua number twenty five, which is yeah. a double sized issue, uh, the new artist takes over. I don't, I'm not sure how you pronounce this, Stefan. It's S T E S T J E P A N, Stefan huh. Sedgik. I think okay. that's how you say his name. He takes over as the regular artist on the book every month. So, yeah, we will, okay. no, we will no longer have rotating our team. So I'm really sad to be losing Brad Walker. I was a big, big fan of Brad Walker. I said that from the very beginning. But uh, I was also a little frustrated that our teams kept changing. So, uh, okay, if it means it's going to go back to monthly, that's fine. And, and so far what I've seen of, of Mr. Stedgick's work, I really like it. So uh, I'm kind of interested to in see where that goes. Well, we kind of always knew this was temporary. I mean, the whole reason for the double shipping wasn't any magic. It was simply DC, when they did Rebirth, wanted to collapse down to their most successful titles, still do 52 comics a month, and um, and, and so they just they double shipped a bunch of stuff is what they did. They got rid, they cut the filler and shipped the popular ones twice a month. And Aquaman was popular. And now that they've added more books, they've added a lot more books. You know, Super Sons is out there and all this other stuff's out there now. So they've, they've populated their universe enough that they're back to probably 52 titles or close to 52 titles. So they can start cutting back on certain ones that don't need to go twice a month. Or Aquaman sales will drop. That could be the other thing, too. Could be. Could be. I, don't, I'm not, I hope I not. Don't really it's, it's a good yeah. – it's a solid book. So it shouldn't yeah, be. Yeah, I've not been paying attention to the sales figures. I would – you know, I mean, you said the movie's gearing up. I mean, they're literally shooting the movie now. Are so, they really? Yeah, they started principal photography a couple of days ago. So it's yeah. So there's like director's chairs with Aquaman on the back and everything. So uh, they're literally doing it. So this, this, at the very least, Aquaman will still be published no matter what sales uh, are. Uh, like 18 months from now, it will literally still be on the sale. So we will very at the very least get to like Aquaman number 36 before they cancel the book and start over. So. Right, I was going to say, don't kid yourself. He's getting a number one out of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I, uh, I like I I, I the stuff I'm seeing from Mr. Sedgick. It looks really cool. Very cool. I got to tell you, I was in traffic yesterday with my daughter. We are driving somewhere, and the car in front of me, along their back window, had these five symbols lined up. 
and it took me a minute to figure out what they were, but it was the Justice League characters, and it was the movie, like movie Berlanti verse version of them. It had a Batman symbol, it had a Superman symbol, it had a Wonder Woman symbol. All looked kind of like their movie versions. It had a Green Arrow arrow, like the Arrow one. It had a Flash Lightning Bolt, and at the very top of the row, though, was the Aquaman symbol. Hmm. I was like, whoa. And this didn't look like something haphazard he had slapped together. It looked like someone had produced this as a, a set of stickers you could put on your car or something. I was just a car with an Aquaman sticker on it. The, the world has changed. You betcha. Pretty amazing stuff. Whew. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Well, that was fun. A nice little shotgun of uh, almost like a trade paperback's worth of issues right there. Yeah, yeah. I, we zipped through five whole issues of Aquaman. So uh, we, got a, yeah. we got the conclusion of Warhead, and we got a whole, basically, story arc there. Uh, that was nice. I like that. We, we should do this more often. Um, but it's fair to say I think we're going to take a quick podcast from a break. And when we come back, we're going to do Firestorm and uh, listener feedback. Is that fair to say? Sounds good. When you talk about comics, does it sound something like this? Look, you can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered red kryptonite yet. And you, uh, you can't put the number 98 with the 300s. Lori the Mars hasn't even been introduced. Or maybe it sounds a little more like this. You think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? What are you, cracked? Why not? I saw the other day he was carrying five elephants in one hand. Boy, you don't know nothing. Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. No way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. Yeah. Maybe you're right. It would be a good fight, though. Hello. I am the constantly caffeinated Clinton Robison, and my comics discussions can go to both extremes, but generally fall somewhere in between. On the Coffee and Comics podcast, I will review comic stories and other comics-related topics that can be enjoyed over a cup of coffee. So pour the coffee, or other beverage of choice, and join me on the Coffee and Comics podcast, available on iTunes and coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's Superman Superman Movie Movie Minute. Minute. Chris Franklin and Rob Kelly take you on a journey through time and space, examining, five minutes at a time, the greatest superhero movie of all time, 1978's Superman. Coming soon to a podcast network near you. You'll believe five minutes can fly. And we are back. It is time to talk about the guy whose head is on fire. So, uh, folks, this is going to be Firestorm issues number 30, 31, and 32. Like I said in the top of the show, a little bit different. We're going to be doing multiple issues at a time, but that way we can get through a bunch. And quite frankly, if you've read the Firestorm run before, you know that we're going to get into some stories that aren't as strong as the first few. Not to say there's not good ones in there. It's not to say it's bad, but they some, some are better than others as we're going to find out today specifically. Uh, one thing I do want to note, though, as we get into this, I didn't catch this until uh, getting ready for this episode, Rob. We have seen the last of Roden Rodriguez, Inker extraordinaire. 
I'm really broken up about this. Now, he's been f- with Firestorm since the Flash backup stories and inked almost every issue up until issue number 29. Now, he will return for like a little short three-issue stint, uh, in like 49, 50, 51, but still, that's it. Uh, he helped create basically you know, this consistent in-house style for Firestorm, the look for Firestorm, from Broderick to transitioning into Kay Annan, you know? Mm. Um, I don't know if you remember, several years ago, uh, you and I did an episode, actually, about unsung heroes. That's of right. That's Aquaman right. Firestorm. It's episode 72 from December 2013. And wow. We <laughs> I know. Isn't that crazy? And uh, almost four years ago, <laughs> we talked quite a bit about Roden Rodriguez, and it just uh, it made me sad when I realized he wasn't inking anymore. So It's not to say the stuff's not good. It's just it was like shocking, you know? Yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, first up is Fury of Firestorm number 30, cover dated December 1984, was on the shelves on September 6th, 1984. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. Cover price, 75 cents, three shiny quarters for the sucker. Cover by, whoa, Gil M. F. and Kane. This is awesome. I love this cover. It has got Firestorm. He's just flying and he's blasting. I mean, honestly, this is so good. It's like, uh, it, this could be stock art that they could have used on shirts or something, you know? This is a great shot of Firestorm. Now, he's angry. It's you know sort of got that 90s anger going on, but this happened a lot with guest artists that would do the covers. They, they really kind of leaned in that Fury skid because, you know, Fury of Firestorm. But uh, I lo- what do you think of this cover? Oh, I love it. I mean, it, I, I get the sense it's probably a pinup that they hired him to do, and then, like, they something happened and they didn't have a cover because this has nothing to do with the story. It's just a generic cover, but I don't yeah. care because it's beautiful. I mean, it's, yeah. we we didn't get get to see Gil Kane draw too many times Firestorm, Firestorm that many, right. you know, uh, and it's it's iconic as all get out. I love all the detail. It's, I love it. I absolutely love it. He did a really good job for a character he probably had never drawn before, quite honestly. I mean, just wow. And you you've got the the only thing that there's pink concentric circles sort of flame behind him, which I'm not real hot on. I wish they'd picked a different color, but otherwise it looks really boss. It looks really great. And the atomic symbol around him and everything. Love it. Okay. The issue title is The Depths of Despair. 23 pages. Now, uh, if you may recall from previous episodes, we talked about Jerry Conway is busy right now here in 1984 working on Justice League Detroit. So, and, and, and that's an assumption on our part. Jerry's never confirmed that, but we think that's probably why Joey Cavallari has stepped in to help out. And uh, Paul Kupperberg earlier. So, writer Joe Ca- Joey Cavallari, penciler Raphael Cannon, inker, new inker, Romeo Tengal, letterer John Costanza, colorist Nancy Houlihan, and editor Jerry Conway. Now, this story at a 10,000-foot level, get it out of your system. That's all right. I'm, I said I'm being nice to you this week. So Wow. It's, I just, I'm not used to it. I don't know what this feels like. Okay. So at a 10,000-foot level, there's really not a lot really to say here. But if anything, you could probably say a theme here is there's no honor among thieves. In this issue, some bad guys double-cross their boss. Other bad guys distrust and attack each other. And then even some bad guys force other bad guys to do horrible things against their will. So it's really a no honor among thieves is kind of a theme going on here. Story opens in Central Park. Firestorm is at the mercy of the faux mind boggler. And if you don't remember her, she's this punk rock chick with them, and she's a master of illusions. And Firestorm completely believes the illusions he's seeing. He thinks he's battling a horde of monsters, but truthfully, he's just flailing around in the middle of Central Park. Mindboggler changes tactics and makes Firestorm believe he's really, really sick. He quickly passes out. The cops arrive, and Mindboggler rethinks her tactics and decides, you know what, I, I can't grab Firestorm right now, so she splits. The cops show up. They don't know quite what to do with Firestorm, so they throw him because he's like catatonic. They throw him in a in a, in a 
truck and they take him to a jail cell and let him basically sleep it off is kind of what they're thinking. Unfortunately, during this time, as Firestorm is in this catatonic state, the inmates decide to take advantage of it and start punching Firestorm, treating him like a punching bag. And they put a pretty severe beating on him. And Firestorm just sits there taking it. And meanwhile, Professor Stein is like yelling in Firestorm's head for Ronnie to snap out of it. And he won't. The police uh, order a prisoner transfer to take Firestorm to a maximum security prison. Unfortunately for the police, the supervillain and shape changer Incognito jumps the cops and steals Firestorm in the paddy wagon. And then we get a quick interlude where Ed Raymond, who's Ronnie Raymond's father, he's at work at this newspaper where things are changing right now, a lot of change in the upper management, and he is assigned a new role as the city editor, and he is introduced to their new technology columnist, Felicity Smoke. Lucky guy. Then uh, we, we have another interlude where we see the head of the Assassination Bureau. It's this cloaked guy named Breathtaker we met an issue or two ago. He's a mysterious boss of Mindboggler and Incognito. We see Breathtaker forces Mindboggler into this machine to upgrade her powers. It's completely against her will because it's extremely painful. And it, honestly, it's, it's very enforced, um, unpleasant to watch this scene as she's forced to do this. Now, if you remember, call, I just said a moment ago, Incognito had captured Firestorm in the paddy wagon. He's planning to betray Breathtaker, his boss, and use Firestorm for his own purposes. But Incognito and the Paddy Wagon run afoul of a gang called the River Rat Gang, which I thought was in uh, Emmett Otter and the Junk Band Christmas, but apparently I was wrong. And uh, the River Rat Gang, their boss is called Fix, F-I-X-X. You know he's dangerous because he's got two X's. And uh, he has a hypnotic whistle. It's uh, Incognito versus Fix and the River Rat Gang, and the prize is Firestorm. Thankfully, our hero Firestorm finally comes to his senses, makes quick work of everyone involved using some super fun transmutation, and Firestorm interrogates Incognito and discovers the location of Breathtaker. At Breathtaker's base, Firestorm infiltrates disguised as Incognito. Unfortunately, he comes face-to-face with the Mindboggler, whose powers have been significantly ramped up, and the issue ends with Firestorm at the mercy of Mindboggler. Woof! So what do you think of this issue, buddy? Uh, I actually liked it quite a bit. Um, I, really? I, okay. Yeah, I, kinda, I mean, Mindboggler by herself, I don't think is enough of a villain to really sell a whole issue, but uh, her is kind of the, the puppet for Breathtaker. I'm totally okay with. Uh, and most of the reason I like it, I really like the artwork by yes. Kyanan and, and Tangal. They have some really nice pages here. The opening page with the kind of nightmarish visions there. Uh, the shot of love Fi- that one. I have that in my notes too. That's a great looking page. The shot of Firestorm falling over in the uh, the park where we see all uh-huh. three versions of his body. Like I did, that's just kind of a fun detail. I love the uh, the the final page, a big close up of him. He's all sweaty and he's like struggling to stand up and then that the uh the page where he's in the com- he's in the computer room and all the floors all wobbly wobbly yep. and all the lights like that had to be such a bitch to draw just, <laughs> you know i just remember my it days. is a grid pattern yeah, yeah yeah oh that had to be a pain in the butt and even down to tiny stuff like the single panel on page 20 where firestorm is half in silhouette like that's that's nice. There's a lot of visual interest here done by these two. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think the story is pretty good. I like Breathtaker. I think he's got a great visual, but just I think this was a real pleasure to look at. Yeah, that that's where my primary enjoyment comes from is the visuals. Uh, you talked about the opening splash, which is awesome. Uh, I liked in that opening splash when those creatures are like coming after Firestorm. We know they're illusions, but their dialogue and this this is down to the writer though. Their dialogue sort of re- is reinforcing the illusion. They're saying things like you know as real as my grip against your throat. You know, so it's sort of like 
probably that's probably a tactic to try and make Firestorm feel it's more real is by using dialogue like that. Um, I love that they took the time to draw the Alice in Wonderland park that you know uh, that's in Central Park. Right. We, we saw right. that in issue number two. It was yep. nice to see that again. Uh, what else? Um, Incognito's ma- on page eight. Incognito's mask like melts away. He's like dressed as a that's cop a tra- and it fades away. Yeah, he looks like Clayface. Yeah, and I I don't. Someone else help me at home. I know that panel has been repurposed somewhere. I have seen that in a book somewhere. I think it was probably a role-playing module, would be my best guess, but I have seen that panel repurposed somewhere because I didn't think it was – I didn't know it was Raphael Cain and Romeo Tengal. It's drawn so expertly. I probably thought it was a burn page or something. You know, that that three panels, I thought it was really nice. What else? Uh, so there's some super fun – again, along the lines of art, super fun transmutation of this issue. I mean, Firestorm creates a hamster wheel for the river rats. He creates helium balloons to float those guys out over the river, and they all have slow leaks in them. Uh, what else? The I like his, the, the playing cards that he put his yes. logo, he puts his logo on. Oh, did he really? I don't even notice that. <laughs> yeah, on all the playing cards, it's got the sun. They got the red sun with the white oh, first on it. Yeah, awesome. Firestorm I'll... brand trading card. That's right. I gotta get. Oh my god, he does. I gotta get a set of those. Uh, they've got the the metal snakes, which so is the line work on that looks great. The ice cream scooper, the oatmeal in the river, all of it's really great. Again, outstanding artwork. Now, a couple story questions here, though. Um, let's see. Uh, you know, um, Firestorm in disguise is incognito. How how does that work? Firestorm doesn't have that power. I mean, he could he could make his transmute his clothes into black, I suppose. But how's he hide his fire hair? I don't questioning how that one really works. These are just kind of general notes. Like the the savage beating Firestorm took in jail. Oh, that was nasty. I mean, that was Punch really right in the nose. Yeah, I mean, the guy kind of looked like Absorbing Man dishing it out, you know. <laughs> And then uh, probably the most disturbing thing in the issue for me was Breathtaker forcing Mindboggler into that power amplification machine. I mean, it was pretty horrible to watch the way she was not wanting to go in there. I mean, it's, it, it, the resisting, I mean, it almost kind of had echoes of rape is kind of what I saw happening there. Maybe I was reading too much into it, but it was really disturbing, really bothersome. Um, uh, fix and his hypnotic whistle, I just thought were like ridiculously kooky, like almost like, you know, I don't know, the, the distant cousins of uh, Bazooka Joan sort of thing. <laughs> but, uh, it was, you know, sort of fun, I guess. But the biggest thing I got to point out is as, as fun as this issue was to look at, and you said you liked this issue quite a bit. Unfortunately, I have to step back and say this is such a fill in issue. And the reason why is the story starts with Firestorm and the Mercy of Mindboggler. Bunch of stuff happens in the middle that's really quite inconsequential, and the story ends with Firestorm at the mercy of Mindboggler. It really, it, the, the issue was just mm. killing time. The whole River Rat storyline and Incognito stealing Firestorm—what? That's not. It's fun to read, not necessary. So, I, I have to take issue with that. It does feel like it's killing time. All right, moving on to the next one. Fury Firestorm number 31, cover date of January 1985, on the shelves October 4th, 1984. Uh, thanks again to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. 75 cents, cover by Raphael Cannon and Pat Broderick. Nice to see Mr. Broderick back helping out with Firestorm. That's pretty cool. The cover does have uh, its Firestorm at the mercy of Mindboggler. And she is, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just going to say it. They drew her with quite the rack that I she does not say, have. I was going to say, since when was she built like that? Because she was right. always sort of built as like a little skinny punk girl. And here... Right. She's Chesty LaRue all of a sudden. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Pat had something on his mind. Uh, now, there is a little inset picture of Firehawk. It says, guest starring Firehawk. She's back, but can she save the one she loves? It also says, brain blast. So it, there's almost a little too many cover blurbs going on here. It's a little unbalanced, I think. But it is nice to see, again, Pat Broderick working with Raphael Keenan. That's pretty cool. And then Firestorm on his knees, you know, in pain is, pretty, is a nice one. All right. Getting into it. The story is called A Mind of Her Own. Uh, 23 pages. 
The writer and editor is Jerry Conway. Nice to see Jerry is back full on in this issue. Very cool. However, put the brakes on, folks. Penciler George Tusca, guest penciler. Guest inker Alex Nino. Letter Bob LePan and colorist Nancy Houlihan. I got to say it, folks, right out of the gate, the art is a drastic change from all the previous issues of this series. This is George. Now, we've talked about George Tusca on this series, on, on this show before. Probably don't remember. It's been a long time. But uh, this is George Tusca in the mid 1980s. This is a Silver Age artist still drawing into the 1980s. He's towards the end of his career. And he's not he's most he's not most famously known for drawing superheroes as it is anyway. So unfortunately, again, towards the end of his career, four color superheroes were not really his forte. And to be frank, I hate the art in this issue. Um, this would have actually been one of the earliest Firestorm issues I ever read, I ever bought, because this is right when I started collecting. And I can tell you, as we've talked about George Tusca before, this is the comic that started my lifelong frustration whenever I saw George Tusca as the fill-in artist in a superhero book. Mm -hmm. Again, at least towards the end of his career. This is the comic that started it all. And we can talk about this on the back end, I suppose, but uh, I... I really struggle with this comic. All right. At a 10-foot, 1,000-foot level, uh, it's sort of a hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. It's the story of a woman who has been abused and is standing up for herself and finding her own path in life. It's kind of one of the storylines. It's talking about Mindboggler, really, there. All right. Firestorm's still at the mercy of Mindboggler, though Mindboggler is inexplicably wearing a completely different outfit. She is wearing, she was wearing her punk rock outfit in the last pages, uh, you know, in the previous issue, but now she's wearing a typical comic book green bathing suit with green gloves and boots. Uh, truthfully, it looks a lot like she borrowed it from the closet of Green Fury, you know, who goes on to be fire. Uh, because, you know, it looks actually, I'm looking at an action figure of fire. It, it, it looks exactly like her costume, except without the flame motif. And uh, now, if you want to no prize it, I, I suppose you could say she's using her illusion power to put that costume. On? I don't know. Anyway, turns out Firestorm's just playing possum. He finally lashes back, settling Mindboggler plummeting down into a crevasse he just created. Then Firestorm goes after the Mindboggler, and uh, I'm sorry, after Firestorm finishes up with Mindboggler, he goes after Breathtaker, who is the head honcho of the Assassination Bureau. Firestorm confronts Breathtaker, and our hero is nearly taken down. However, Matchhead figures out that Breathtaker's powers are also illusion based, and Firestorm de defeats the Breathtaker, and it is surprised that it turns out it's just a wizened little man in an exosuit. So, we're only at page 10 of this comic, folks, and the Assassination Bureau is in jail. From there, Firestorm turns his attention to the employers of the Assassination Bureau, which is the 2000 Committee. These are the folks that have been plaguing Firestorm for almost two years now. Firestorm recruits Firehawk. After playing some kissy face, our atomic lovebirds get some help from the recently arrested Mindboggler, who's now back in her punk rock togs. So, nice to see that. They sneak into the 2000 Committee headquarters in disguise, thanks to Mindboggler's illusions, and they bust up the place, including taking down Professor Stein's ex-wife, Clarissa Clemens, the lilac-tinted whore. Uh, I love saying that. Anyway, uh, however, we don't actually see the conclusion of this fight. In sort of a clever bit of dialogue or exposition, I should say, the caption box says, just once, let's avoid the obvious and jump ahead several hours. So they actually skip the fight, which is kind of cool. So after nearly two years of ongoing plot, the 2000 committee is finished. Clarissa Clemens is going to jail. The Assassination Bureau is finished. Firehawk's dad, who's Senator Riley, has been rescued from the clutches of the 2000 Committee. Or, to be more precise, the former, about-to-be-former senator. He's going to have to resign his office due to his actions over the past couple of years. And in the end, we see Mindboggler in disguise walking away in Washington, D.C. in hopes of starting a new life for herself, completely unaware that she'll be dead in a few years in the pages of Suicide Squad. What did you think of this one, buddy? Uh, yeah, no. Um, I, 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 look, I, I feel really, I always feel very strange about saying anything 
negative about George Tuska because the man had a great career in comics dating all the way back from the 40s. He did crime comics. He had a great run on Iron Man. In the mm-hmm. '60s, so I mean, it wasn't like he couldn't do superheroes, but this clearly is near near the end of his career, and he was just given fill-ins to do and stuff that just to me was not his forte. Uh, Firestorm's giant fire perm, yeah, very distracting. Uh, I don't think Alex Nino is a particularly good match for him as an anchor on top of it. Yeah, I just, I mean, the story-wise, I think it's fine. I just, I'm so distracted by the change in artwork. Firestorm just looks so strange that it's hard for me to to get past it. Um, So, yeah, I just was not a big fan of of this. It's just sort of sloppy and weird, and Mindboggler looks like an old lady sometimes, not a young woman, not a young, young punk girl. This one just was big big old miss it seems like also there must have been a mass communication failure with with mind boggler in the first half of the comic having a typical supervillain costume i mean just makes no sense it, she, she again she's in fires or green flames costume it's just, it's bizarre and then she's in her punk rock costume later so it's almost like he drew the pages not knowing what she was going to look like or something and then halfway through someone gave him the, the art from the issue before i don't know very strange um i like that first one from a story point of view i like the first one was playing possum finally after being in the mercy of mind boggler for three issues now i like that he was suddenly took control of the situation that was nice shut down the assassination bureau in 10 pages that was surprising i i, I, lo- I had to look i'm like they're only on page 10. What the heck? So I was, I was pretty excited about that. Uh, Brett Taker turned out to be a real mort. That was actually kind of a bit of a disappointment. They kind of did a good job setting him up to be mysterious, and then turns out to just be a flake in a, you know, in a suit. So I do like uh, his skull face, though. You do? Okay. Well, not my thing. But okay. uh, Firehawk, I, okay. She's absolutely furious with Firestorm. She's yelling at him and then immediately turns to kissing. And she says, we had our fight. Now it's time to make up. A little, little abrupt, you know, kind Women. of questions. You're right. I mean, I love Jerry, but really, I mean, he, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I do. Or there is a page I like. I'll say something nice. On page 19, uh, Firestorm and Firehawk are attacking the assassination. No, 2000 committee. And the Firestorm goes, let's hit these clowns. And there's just fire everywhere. Mm-hmm. Firestorm's blasting a dude. Firehawk's flying. I actually kind of like that page. The the It's nice. I mean, it's a lot of red, but it's, it's a nice page. And then ultimately what I feel like is I feel like this story was very disjointed and rushed. I feel like they took down the Assassination Bureau. They took down the 2000 Committee. There's a long explanation by Senator Riley. These two very disparate – or three disparate things all fit into the issue. It, it tied every single loose end up pretty much all in one issue. It feels like either – I wouldn't say editorial mandate because Jerry's the editor, but it feels like almost feels almost like an editorial mandate to clear the decks, you know, wrap up everything in a hurry and get ready for something else is what it feels like. Not not my favorite. So uh, honestly, given again that this is one of the earliest issues I read of Firestorm, kind of surprised I stuck around after reading that one. So can I tell you what my favorite panel is though? I will sure. say the next to last page uh, where you've got the close up of the goon shooting the the machine gun out of his okay. car. Brack. Like, that looks great. I love the way um, Tuska drew slightly caricatured guys, but also sort of realistic. And he was, like I said, he was great at crime comics. Yeah. So, I like, this panel reminds me of what you would see. If you ever looked at some of the stuff he drew in the 40s and 50s, the, the crime stuff, it's really, really good. So I bet it is. Yeah. I have no doubt. I mean, and so this, this kind of reminds me of that. As you could see this is just, if you just swapped out this, this more techie-looking machine gun with, like, an old Tommy gun, you could sort of see... The, the stuff that Tusco is really good at. So, you know, like I said, I just think, I mean, much like you, I mean, I, I didn't come to JLA with him doing fill-ins. I was already reading the book for many years, but, like, when they handed him the first issue of the JLA Mars Invasion 
storyline. It was like, oh my god, like why are you handing such an important story to kind of a fill-in guy? And he drew Firestorm's giant perm there too. It's just, it's yeah. like nobody ever told him it's just some flame, George. It doesn't need to be a whole thing, you know. It just looks very strange. Well, I, I think, and I've said this before uh, on various episodes, I think, honestly, uh, Jerry Conway had a soft spot for George Tuska. Just probably a respect for, you know, a, a, an elder statesman of the comic industry at that point or something, maybe. So, I mean, because Tuska seemed to do a lot of uh, Jerry's books. Yeah, we're right. not done. We're, right, we're right, not right. done seeing Tuska, by the way. Right, right. Um, in these series, so. Hmm. All right, let's get moving on. Because this next one's got a character you kind of like, I think. Fury of Firestorm number 32. This will be our last issue of Firestorm for this uh, this time. Cover dated February 1985. Release date November 1st, 1984. Again, 75 cents. Thanks again to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. Cover by Raphael Cannon and Dick Giordano. It has got a a weird kind of crazy Doctor Strange sort of scape. And it's got Firestorm blasting. <gasps> the Phantom Stranger. What? I know. It's just, just when you thought you'd seen it all. Fury of Firestorm versus the Phantom Stranger. Crazy! So, what do you think of the cover? It's not bad. It's not bad. I think it's a little disjointed and, uh, like, the poses are a little strange. But but overall, it's fine. It's it's cool seeing Firestorm in a different context like this. Uh, and, yeah. You know, and, of course, I'm happy. It's got the Phantom Stranger in it. Exactly. Now, if you guys don't know, Rob did a blog for oof, quite a while, basically doing an indexing blog of Phantom Stranger's appearances, right? I did. I am the phantomstranger.blogspot.com. Right. All right. Very cool. Now, uh, this one also has some guests involved, but that's okay. I'm good with these. Guest writer. He's listed here is RJM. I'm going to say this wrong. Sorry, Siskoid. Le Officier, I think is what it's right. Uh, he's French. Uh, now, here's where I get excited because his real name, or the name he goes by published normally, is Jean Marc Le Officier. And he wrote a bunch of science fiction guide novels, including some of my favorite that are literally within arm's reach. Doctor Who basically program guides. Oh, so he interesting. Yeah, he wrote like, you know, uh, they'd be like plot synopsis for every episode kind of thing. And, uh, you know, in like encyclopedias and stuff like that. So he wrote several Doctor Who ones. He wrote ones for other sci-fi series as well. So very exciting to see him here for me. Uh, guest artist is Alan Kupperberg, uh, who for me is exciting because he used to work on Blue Devil. So that's pretty cool. A letter of Bob LePan, colors Nancy Houlihan, and editor Jerry Conway. Title of the issue is Ghosts. Uh, it's a 23-page story. At a 10,000-foot level, I would say this is the story of a dead man who is so angry he cannot pass on. And he came back to reclaim his life and take revenge, but the world has moved on without him. And he's got to learn that lesson. So, All right, I'm going to read my recap here. Now, I'll be up front. I, uh, some bits of this are cribbed from some random Phantom Stranger blog I found on the Internet. Don't know anything about it, but anyway. Uh, but only cribbed loosely. <laughs> so the prose is going to be scintillating. We'll see. It's probably better written than the other stuff. Uh, the issue opens like the classic Phantom Stranger stories of old. Phantom Stranger is standing outside of the comic book panel, introducing us to the situation. Ronnie Raymond is there in bed. He's having these bizarre dreams, and he is in them. He is under attack from Firestorm and a crazed old man who turns out to be gangster Shoe Shine. Now, if you remember your Firestorm history, Shoe Shine is the gangster that murdered Ronnie's mother and tried to kill Ronnie and his father, but ultimately uh, got gunned down by the FBI back in Fury of Firestorm Annual Number 1. Now, after waking from this nightmare, Ronnie heads into the city uh, for a job interview. While on the way, a huge lightning strike hits New York Harbor and springs out of the water as a giant typhoon. Don't get your hopes up. It's not typhoon. Sorry. And uh, this typhoon hits a nearby ship. Ronnie triggers the transformation into Firestorm and heads out towards the harbor. But on the way, he encounters the Phantom Stranger, recognizing him from the JLA computer files. The Stranger warns Firestorm not to engage the typhoon or attempt to save the ship. But like a, like a hothead, Firestorm ignores the advice. 
while battling the typhoon, a uh, a ghostly shape rises from this black lightning bolt that caused the whole situation. It is the ghost of Shu Shine. Unbeknownst to Ronnie, the ghost of Shu Shine reaches into Firestorm, pulls out Martin Stein. He actually yanks the astral form of Martin Stein out of Firestorm, and then hurdles Martin Stein's uh, astral spirit into the Black Abyss. Then uh, the ghostly Shine changes forms and takes on the appearance of Professor Stein and actually leaves uh, or enters the fire body of Firestorm. He supplants uh, Professor Stein. And uh, this leaves Ronnie kind of perplexed. You know, like, why is Professor Stein sounding a little different than he did before? And on the ground, when Firestorm separates into their two identities, Ronnie's shocked when the Professor Stein tells him to buzz off. It's like, whoa, what's going on? So, uh, meanwhile, in the parallel dimension, the real Professor Stein is trapped, and we see a white-gloved hand reach down to rescue him. Woo! Phantom Stranger on the on the call. Uh, now, Shu Stein, using Professor Stein's body, tries to pick up his old crooked life, but he can't seem to understand why people don't treat him the same. This includes his old mob buddies, his girlfriend, etc. Later on, as Ronnie heads back to his job interview, the Phantom Stranger explains the situation. It's kind of a funny moment inside an elevator with Ronnie and Phantom Stranger. And the Stranger even tries to warn, uh, apparently he even tried to warn Ronnie and Professor Stein recently through those nightmares we talked about in the beginning. Uh, Ronnie tries to reform Firestorm. But the evil Professor Stein, or Shushine, you know, that guy, he fights him off, and uh, they can't fight for very long, and then the nuclear man is back. The problem is Ronnie feels Shushine trying to take over the the Firestorm body until ultimately Shushine does take control of fire. Uh, He is now driving the Firestorm uh, body. It's very scary. Phantom Stranger steps in to stop this. He transports himself and Firestorm into this alternate dimension where uh, they find the powers of magic and science equally matched. As the Phantom Stranger distracts Shushine, the real ghostly Martin Stein and ghostly Ronnie Raymond work together using their astral powers to wrest control of Firestorm's form back. As they regain control of Firestorm, Shushine is repulsed from the body, and Phantom Stranger takes it away. With a great sense of relief, our hero is returned to normal and returned to New York. Oof. Uh, Great one and done. What'd you think, Rob? I okay. the The story I'm fine with. It's fine. Okay. But what I really liked is just that it's the the pairing. Because we just never get to see these two together, and and you know like it is total oil and oil and water kind oh, of. Oh yeah, thing. science and, so and that, magic, absolutely. Yeah, that and that's what I like about it. Because basically, Phantom Stranger. I'm trying to like I'm just we're doing the Rolodex in my mind. I don't think he ever appeared with Firestorm in JLA because he was in JLA 200, and so was Firestorm, but they didn't cross over. And then the the three parter when the Earth dies screaming was a JLA case book which is before Firestorm joined the team. Probably right then. And that's yeah. and that's it. So I don't think they ever crossed over in JLA. And so I just I'm just having fun looking at these two very bizarre characters thrown together. Just yeah. Tonally, their looks, their whole raison d'être, everything about them is opposite. So I just I enjoy this as like a weird one off team up. That just happens to take place in the first turn book as opposed to some DC omnibus title. Sure. Like a Brave and the Bold or something like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm really impressed that a guest writer took the time to delve into the character of Firestorm, like his backstory. Like he could have just created any ghost character, but he took and took on Shushine, who I, and if you don't remember him, I mean he was a key player in the early issues of Firestorm, especially like around 16, 17, 18 when Firestorm's dad died, like those explosions and all that. They thought that Shushine was the one who killed his dad, and that was the whole reason that his dad went into hiding was because the Shushine family, and there were hints of them going all the way back to the original series. So it's amazing that this guest writer stepped in to dig up this piece of Firestorm history, you know, this, this artifact. And I, it, it kind of like sort of dovetails nicely with his love of doing research for sci-fi genres and stuff like that, you know. It kind of it was nice. I, I love the opening scene with Phantom Stranger outside the panel. That was really cool. 
It's very, very much like this old Phantom Stranger stuff. Now, I got to ask you, uh, the Phantom Stranger really gets involved in this thing. I mean, he takes them to the uh, Antechamber of Souls, and then he battles Firestorm to distract Shoeshine. Is that normal for the Stranger to take such an active role? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, you know, in, in his solo comic in the 70s, he took a really active role. He was literally, like, punching dudes out. So <laughs> uh, it really varies of what the writer wants him to do. I think it was okay. more – it's more of a crutch when he's like, I cannot involve myself. I am like Uatu. I am just watcher. No, no, no. So, yeah, whatever the writer needs. He'll get involved when he needs to get involved. Okay. All right. All right. Very cool. I, I also like the, the, the whole plot of the ghosts supplanting the astral form of Fresher Stein. I mean, that was that's something they hadn't really messed around with was someone else taking control of the Firestorm form. You know, I, I, that was pretty neat. Um, yeah, now, I'm stealing this from your blog. You had a funny bit about how you uh, – in there where you really thought it was impressive that Firestorm took the time to read the JLA case files. I did think that, that was funny. <laughs> he actually did do some homework. I thought that was funny. Yep. Yep. Of all, he was bored on monitor duty. He's just like right. rifling through, and he's like, "Snapper car, what?" You know, he's just like, flip, 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 flip. <laughs> who's this dude? He looks cool. So yeah, no. Uh, so I, that's it. I mean, all in all, I like this one. I, I've I've often gone back to this one as a great little example of a perfect little one shot with Firestorm, and, and that gets into some of the history and stuff. And it's a little bit different and quirkier. I, I enjoy it quite a bit. So happy to do. It. I, I actually covered it whew, many years ago on the Firestorm fan blog when a little Chad Bokelman did a crossover event, a blog crossover uh, about the. Remember the, the annuals Ghosts mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they did for DC Comics many years ago? Well, Firestorm wasn't in publication at the time, but I just wanted to play along. So I took this issue and reviewed it and made up a fake trade dress cover for it Wow! <laughs> based on the Ghost annual and all that stuff and just had some fun with it. But, uh, yeah, I, I dig it. I think it's good. Is Alan Cumberbatch the only artist to draw Firestorm when he's flying? Like he's like Red Tornado where he has like a big tail, like his legs disappear? I can't think of another comic where I've seen him look like that. I have never noticed that in Red Tornado, so now I'm going to be looking for that. So you mean where the legs just meld together and you can't see the feet? Right. Well, he's just like in the on page seven when Firestorm. Oh, I'm looking at the cover. I'm sorry. Okay. No, like on page seven when he's flying in front of Red, like he's just the from his waist down. He's just he's just a yellow streak. I can't think of another writer, another artist that drew him like that, and he's like this throughout the entire book, mostly, where yes. his legs just disappear. It's it's an interesting look. I said he looks like Red Tornado because Red Tornado's legs would disappear and one would just be wind. I totally know what you're saying now. Yes, yes, yeah. I'm sorry. I was looking at the cover. Uh, yes, as far as I know, he is the only artist that ever drew. I don't remember ever seeing any artist draw like that. So it's uh, it bothered me throughout the issues. I'm glad you brought that up. It did bother me, but uh, ultimately at the end of the day, I just, I, I just went along for the ride. I was having fun. It's an interesting way to get the book done on time. I tell you. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that is going to do it for Aquaman and Firestorm coverage. Next time, we'll cover a plethora of Aquaman issues. Well, I guess not if they're going to monthly. They're um, going to be going to monthly. Yeah, we're not going to be. They're not going to pile up as much as they used. To. Yep. So we'll cover a couple issues, of Aquaman or so. We'll cover uh, maybe even more issues of Firestorm than Aquaman next time. Who knows? Maybe. So. But in the meantime, we're going to get on to your listener feedback, folks. And this is going to be uh, listener feedback from episode uh, 188, which is where we covered Aquaman 14 through 17 and Fury of Firestorm Annual number 2. Now, uh, Rob, one thing we forgot to mention to the folks at home, if they want to see some of the panels from this comic, how can they do that? Yes, we will have an accompanying gallery post over on the website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com, and there we'll have the images from all these various comics. Awesome. And remember, if you're out there posting on the social media about this episode, please use the hashtag poundfwpodcasts. However, since we've already finished covering the issues, you probably already put out 15 tweets already. Well, just go back and delete those and repost them with the, with the right hashtag. Thank you, folks. First up, we're going to get to some iTunes reviews. And please, I need to ask, I haven't asked in a while, could we please have some more? More please, more please. Uh, you know, 
we we switched feeds a while back. It used to be the Fire and Water podcast. Then we switched. Uh, that became the the network hub, and now we have a new feed, Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast. And the old feed has over a hundred and ten reviews and still going strong. We're gonna cover some more in just a minute. The new feed, however, is still sitting. At, it's at thirty two reviews, which is respectable. But we'd really like to build that up. I'd like maybe by next show to have about two hundred. So if we could. Uh, Get that rolling. I mean, come on, folks. You're getting this for free, really. I mean, you got nothing better to do. And quite frankly, I don't know how you sleep at night if you if you haven't written an iTunes review. So if you even if you think you've already written one, please go out and check on your iTunes. You can do it on your smarty device there. We'd really appreciate it. And it would stop Rob from coming around to your house uh, with Lucille. Um, I'm just saying, you know. So first up is going to be an iTunes review from the new feed, which is Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast. Rob, want to take it away? Yes, this is from Canada Clark. He says, "What do I have to do in order to get this crap right on the air?" <laughs> okay, so this is my third review for these two knobs, Shag and Rob, and their podcast. Yeah, 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 these guys love Firestorm and Aquaman as much as I do. This is just hands down a great show. If you aren't listening to these two idiots banter back and forth about who's better at everything, then you're missing out and you should be ashamed of yourself. I'm going to tell your mother. <laughs> wow, he is going after the Diablo Frank, Ryan Daly sort of space of just being super insulting well he and i we go way back uh he and oh, i've known each okay. other for quite a while uh he he's been a fan of firestorm he used to be a frequent commenter on the firestorm fan blog when i back when i was doing that so i i felt rightly deserved in taking that heat from him so it's fine but uh all right then uh we've got a couple more reviews over on the old feed which is fire and water podcast network feed which were relevant to the show so i thought i'd give him a shout out so we heard from ashford wright our buddy who does the uh birds of prey podcast and also does the uh, Doctor Who Straight Out of Gallifrey podcast, which I recently appeared on when they did the 64 Companion Bracket, which was a blast. Ashford wrote, a top-notch podcast. The Irredeemable Shag and Rob Kelly are fabulous hosts. These two, um, the two keep the podcast moving at an appro- uh, appropriate rapid pace. Their knowledge is welcoming and informative. You know what I loved the most about Canada Clark and Ashford Wright's uh, reviews? They both mentioned me first. So I just think that, you know, well done, gentlemen. You did this right. Because this next guy gets it all wrong. Uh, next uh, review is from Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. He writes, Rob plus Shag for the number four ever. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I titled this review like a high school yearbook signature. Want to make something of it? Wait, wrong podcast. Uh, he says that because he's a big uh, supporter of our JLI podcast. He says, Rob and Shag have something special when they can take non-top-tier characters and make them interesting and exciting. Admittedly, I was already a big Firestorm fan when I found the show, but I had zero time for Aquaman. Since discovering the show, I've read about a dozen or more recent Aquaman issues, and I've really enjoyed them. Thanks for turning me on to a previously much-mocked and overlooked character. And since I know you read the entirety of the iTunes review, Ghostbusters is the greatest movie ever made. The James Bond franchise is the greatest thing ever made. Booster Gold is the most underrated comic book character ever. And anyone who puts pineapple on their pizza is immediately suspect. Correction, any man who puts pineapple on pizza is suspect. Girls usually love it. And, well, girls get a pass on most things in the world of the yard sale artist. <laughs> Jared is an absolute kook. Is this how he got on your James Bond film and water podcast? Is this what did it? He just begged and begged and begged, and I finally gave in. Okay. That's how right. it worked. And he did bribe me because he sent me the Aquaman art. He sent me some Aquaman art, so yeah. He did. He did. Yeah. So I texted Jared tonight. Uh, he and I are buddies. You know, I've actually been to his hometown. We hung out. I, I had lunch with him and hung out at his house, met his wonderful children. And I just wrote, I said, have we discussed pizza toppings before? And he wrote back, I don't know, but pineapple is not even worthy of discussion. And I wrote back, oh, well, I guess it's been fun being friends because, uh, folks, I'm here to tell you, I love pineapple on my pizza. And his response was, take <laughs> I shared this with my wife. It's so good. Take it easy, princess. Say hi to your sorority sisters for me. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, what an asshole. Oh, I love the I, guy. I, I do right. not agree that he calls Aquaman a non-top-tier character, though. Well, at the, you know, in his mind it wasn't, though. It, it took him opening his eyes. So maybe we do have a little more road to go than we think. Once the movie comes out, we'll be fine. There we'll we go. Okay. Yep. And that ends our iTunes reviews, folks. So please, again, go out to iTunes and please take a look. Uh, we could really uh, – it helps raise the profile of the show. It really does. It helps raise the profile of this feed. So it would be really appreciated. So, again, these comments are going to be from Fire and Water uh, 188, Aquaman 14 through 17, Fury of Fire from Annual Number 2, going back to March 5th. Rob, take it away. All right, we've got a comment from Martin Gray, our old friend from Too Dangerous from a Girl blog. He says, Aquaman number 16 was also my favorite of these. I love catch-up with the cast issues. While the Here and now we're going over the slang. While the fortnightly frequency means we don't get the same artist every issue, it does provide plenty of room for characters to breathe with or without the use of gills. I like Brad Walker, and I really like Frio Briones. I also think Scott Eden is underrated. So I'm fine with them sharing the art chores. And besides, from what we've seen, the talented Mr. Walker wouldn't actually manage a monthly schedule. Mm, you're not wrong there. It only turned out to be true, yes. Now, you co-fetching about his fortnightly, I guess he sort of like predicts that the problem is coming. So he actually defines right, fortnight yes, down yes. here and says it's a fair one. And he makes a good point because people do get confused when you say bi-weekly or bi-monthly. It doesn't mean every two or does it mean two within. So you know, fortnight's a good way to handle that, but. Anyway, uh, about the Firestorm Annual, he goes, I wasn't a big fan of the Firestorm Annual short story. I like stories to be stories and comics to be comics. Spot illustrations and text remind me of the British story papers, such as Rover and Wizard, that were about hanging on in there when I was a sprog. Such a chore. Wow. Um, Those were all words that were in English, but I didn't really understand how they fit together in a sentence. But anyway. Such such is the way with Martin Gray's comments. But this, yes. Thank you, Martin, for writing it. Uh, our pal Dr. Ange from the Comic Book Commentary blog wrote, wrote in to say, Great episode. I'll join in the praise of Brad Walker. His stuff is great. He did a lot of work on the Morrison run of Action Comics and really shined. And I may have done this already. Let me praise Joshua Middleton as well. He did a run of Supergirl covers during the early Gates Eagle run, which were incredible. I'm also glad to see the Atlantis attack storyline end. That just seems to be a fallback plot that is overused. Heck, we've even seen it overdone with Neymar over at the Marvelous Competition. Let's try and go a couple of years of just Aquaman adventures. I can't <laughs> totally agree with that, Dr. Ange. Fair point. Now, it's also, uh, we should mention, Dr. Ange is part of the Legion of Super Bloggers and is appearing on our uh, Who's Who in the Legion episodes right now. So, very exciting. Uh, he goes on to talk about Firestorm. Because as for the Firestorm Annual, I can remember getting it when it first came out, and it was a bit bored with the prose format. Like Rob said, I never saw the why when it came to this story. The prose doesn't add much, but mostly I think it was just uh, paled to the first Firestorm Annual, which felt like something huge, ending the Firestorm uh, Firehawk Tom. Tokamak Mega Arc. Now that was an annual. It says one more thing. I concur with Rob. There's no way Ronnie watched Apocalypse Now five to six times. <laughs> way too way too heady for him. He seems more like a predator kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now to be fair, Predator wasn't out at this point, so you know Ronnie's choices were slim. Ronnie, for war Ronnie, movies. Okay, Ronnie was totally a Porky's kind of guy. That they, yes, probably as well. I yeah. not speaking from experience or anything, but yes, I would agree. All right, up next is Gord Tolton, and last episode I gave a shout-out for his blog, uh, Ranger Gord Roundup, and he says, Thanks so much for the shout-out, Shag. Not that I've done much with my blog, but and it might bore comic fans to death. It's more my focus on historical writings. But hey, thanks so much for tracking it down. And it is, again, rangergordsroundup.wordpress.com. Check it out. All right. Brian Linton wrote in. He says, thank you for another excellent episode, gentlemen. While I had my reservations about the latest invasion storyline, I really liked the conclusion in Aquaman number 15 where Arthur meets with the president. This scene crystallized for me what I love about Abnett's Aquaman but couldn't name before, and that's his wisdom. There were many highly intelligent characters in the DCU, 
It seems like he can't swing a stick without hitting a super genius with a spiffy <laughs> gadget. But wisdom appears, in my humble opinion, to be much in, in much shorter supply. And that gives a unique quality to Aquaman's character that can help him set him apart from other heroes. I hope you see this developed in future issues. It's an interesting <laughs> angle, uh, Brian. I appreciate that. It's, uh, I never really quite thought of it that way, but I, I like that a lot. The only uh, tricky part about that is it's really down the, to the writer to make sure that comes gets right. played out in the character. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a quality he should possess. I mean, he's a king. I mean, goodness gracious. Kings are supposed to be wise and be able to you know make the right judgment on how to help their kingdom. So yeah, it makes perfect sense for him to be like that. Uh, Brian goes on to say, the Firestorm annual was an interesting one. Say what you will about mental powers, but I thought this was a clever way to feature so many members of Firestorm's rogue gallery in a plausible, at least by comic book standards, way. And I'm not sure, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not sure how I feel about the format because I haven't been able to read the whole annual, but I have to give the credit creators credit for trying something a little different. You know, Brian is a glass half full kind of guy. I like that. So, yeah. Thank you, Brian. You make very good points. That was a wonderful way to fit all those characters, the bad guys in the annual. That basketball game is like one of my absolute favorite goofiest things we've had in the last couple of years. So, yeah. I, yeah. Thank you for the positivity, brother. Uh, our pal, David, and I use that word loosely, David Ace Gutierrez, <laughs> he's a little shag there, uh, he wrote in, he says, loving that Shag and Rob are back together again. Aquaman has really been something else since Rebirth. I'm an Aqua fan. Also, had Rob tapped a replacement for Shag? I'm not sure he needs to. I'm pretty sure we can create a virtual version using all the older shows to pay something together. Shouldn't be too hard. I just watched a video on uh, on the interwebs where they were doing that with video, where you could you know reenact a, a living person just without much effort and make them. So I'm sure you could do it with my voice, considering how many hours and hours and hours of stuff. Although I, I'm all stuffy nose right now, so you're gonna have a mixture of stuffy nose Shag and not stuffy nose Shag. Interesting. That's gonna be a real editing nightmare, but I'm willing to give it a try. Uh, all right, our, our pal Chris Franklin from our network, from Supermates Pod and Nightcast, and of the upcoming show, Superman Movie Minute. Uh, right oh, I'm, I, well, I'm really glad you mentioned the Superman Movie Minute podcast, because uh, I'm actually ready to announce mine as well. I'm going to be doing Batman and Robin Minute, where we're <laughs> going to be going minute by minute celebrating the glory glory that is Clooney and Schwarzenegger. So I, I think it's going to be great, folks. I really look forward to it. We've got a whole summer blockbuster planned for this party's over and uh, things like that. So really, it's going to be great. I look forward to not hearing that show. Uh, he writes <laughs> in, he says, uh, that other show mentioned space clusters recently? That would be Batman Nightcast. Oh, I'd, give okay. Sh- I'd give Shag crap for not remembering a show on his own network, but he's clearly over his Batman phrase. Dang. <laughs> Aquaman having a fleshed out, almost normal past is a nice touch. I prefer that to Dolphin Tarzan from the 90s. I agree, Chris. Okay, now, to be fair... Uh, Space Clusters was also mentioned over on the Silver and Gold Podcast Network. Thank you very much. It got mentioned by a lot of folks, okay? So, give, cut me some slack. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, he goes on to say, The Firestorm Annual reminds me of the Batman prose stories and the 1978 Batman Spectacular, which was a story by Denny O'Neill and Marshall Rogers, woo, and Detective Comics 500 by Walter the Shadow Gibson and Tom Yeats. I look at all those other examples of comics trying to shed their just-for-kids stigma and by being slightly more legit presentation. No word balloons and such. The whole thing sounds like Mysterio's plot for Spider-Man, and hey, that's what Jerry was after. Good point. Very good point. Then we heard from our buddy Jimmy McGlinchey, who is one of my good buddies over on the JLI podcast. He gives me – I always do these corny jokes on the JLI podcast, and he always goes for it and joins me in on my gags, and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jimmy. He goes on to say, great show, Robin Shag. I'm enjoying the Aquaman series at this moment, and as was mentioned, when you have a big storyline like the Deluge, it is great that it only lasts for two or three months as opposed to the six months it would have taken in the old monthly regime. 
Uh-oh. <laughs> Hope we don't have that problem when we go monthly again. Uh, producing two issues a month also allows for more room for one and done, like Aquaman number 16, as a palette cleanser before the next big storyline. The Firestorm Annual sounds very interesting. I love the occasional illustrated novella, and it was uh, as it was called above. While I am a sucker for the All My Enemies Against Me story, I was wondering uh, if, uh, if Rob had Aquaman ever had a storyline where he faced multiple members of his rogues gallery at once. <laughs> The closest we sort of got was that one storyline in Action Comics, which we, which we even covered on the show, where he fought basically like duplicates of everybody all at once. Black Mana, Ocean Master, the Shark, uh, the Sea Quake, like all these other – Starro, even at one point, Marine Marauder. But they weren't was, the real version. Was it all at once or was it like one per issue? No, it was all at once. It was all oh, okay. Yeah, cool. it, was, it was just for like one or two pages. We covered it. It was like Action Comics 518 or 519, drawn by J.M. Demetrius, and drawn by Don Heck. Um, okay. But it was very brief, and they said they weren't the quote-unquote real versions. But for the most part, no. The closest we ever got in um, the first appearance of Black Mana, uh, he takes on Black Mana and Ocean Mancer at the same time. But no, there That's... haven't been a lot of group attacks on Aquaman. That's exactly the one I was going to mention. That's what I was thinking of too. So, you know, in that first Black Mana issue, didn't they act like he had already fought Black Mana before? Like he yeah, they've him? already established. Yeah, yeah. It, that first appearance of Black Mana, which is Aquaman number thirty-five, is not is not uh, like the you know the origin of Black Mana. It's just like oh, my old foe, Black Manta. So, just the way they. That's probably, and I've said this before in the show. I mistakenly said that he appeared on the TV show before the comics, and that's probably what made me think that. Right. Even though I was wrong when I said that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got a uh, email from our pal Paul Hicks, who will be appearing on a future episode of the Film and Water podcast. Very exciting. Uh, he says, "Shag, thanks for the appropriate accreditation for the use of DC lot. This will or declot. This will <laughs> declot. <always>, declot. <laughs> this will always be my greatest contribution to CW fandom." <laughs> She also mentioned Paul Hicks is part of the Waiting for Doom podcast. The poor guy waited for years, and finally he now has a new Doom Patrol book to talk about. So they have to wait a whole and, – and, and sadly, they have to wait more than a month between them, too, it sounds like. so. Heard our buddy uh, Mark Baker-Wright, who does the uh, the Black, black – bo- I'm doing this off the, off the cuff here, so forgive me, Mark. Black Box – Toy? No, Black Rock Toy Box. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> I don't have all my notes in front of me here. I talked about Star Raiders because I picked up the graphic novel recently and was excited that it was tied to Atari Force. And he says, I never heard of the comic Star Raiders, but a connection to Atari Force is hardly surprising. I finally remember playing the game on my Atari 2600 back in the day. And he gives us a link. And he says, apparently Atari had a bit of a mini franchise around this concept, even going back to the 8-bit computer in 1979, meaning Star Raiders. Hmm, interesting. Very cool. Thanks, Mark. Diablo Frank wrote in, focus from the World Spine Network. He says, it's been a while since I've commented, in part because, as I mentioned to Shag just now in my cellar dungeon, I have seemed to run out of things to say about Aquaman <laughs> and Firestorm. He's not, not kidding. I, I was at his house. <laughs> right. Uh, I've seemed to run out of things to say about Aquaman and Firestorm about 125 or so episodes in. However, I have had sympathy for Rob over the constant guy who talks to fish digs, which evaporated forever when he called Shag's hologram Aquaman a piece of crap. I've waited... <laughs> I've waited nearly 20 years to dupe somebody into going in on that JLA box set to finally get my awesome hologram Martian Manhunter, and it makes my heart weep that Rob can't let Shag have this accomplishment slash sucker's bet. <laughs> Did I explain that whole thing in the last episode? I don't remember. Frank and I went out shopping. you think we'd been drunk, but we weren't. And I convinced him to help me buy a JLA box. 
bucks. And that was like 50 bucks. We got a little bit of a deal. But the thing had a layer of dust so thick it was ridiculous. But yes, I got the final Total Justice slash Justice JLA action figure of Aquaman. I didn't have the, basically the hook-handed one that, you know, that, that I guess it was Kenner put out. Um, so it's the holographic one. And actually, I, I still have it sitting out in my office. It's, it was, it's quite a prize to finally get after all these years. I'm excited about it. You can hate on it if you want. But... I, I hate you, Rob. Anyway, oh, look, uh, I'm, just ta- I'm just talking about that Aquaman figure. That Aquaman figure is hideous. I'm, maybe Frank's figure is nice and more power to him, but that Aquaman figure is one of the most ugliest pieces of Aquaman. Probably the ugliest piece of Aquaman merchandise ever created. Do you mean the total justice mold or the colors on the hologram one? The, the mold is bad enough because it's Aquaman in his rage form and all the right. fractal tech gear. And then when you do the, 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 the evil version, it's just the colors are even ugly. It's just so Oh, my God. It's awful. Let me tell you, though. I got the better deal out of this. I know he's singing the praises of his Martian Manhunter figure. But no, dude. The, I, the Aquaman is so much better than Martian Manhunter. Like, the Martian Manhunter, you hold him out to the light. You can actually see where, like, the screws hold him together on the inside. His head's all pinched and weird looking. And yeah. Sorry, Frank. You lose. Anyway, uh, Frank goes on to say, even when the – talking about the Firestorm uh, annual, goes, even when the villains are lame, whenever you toss 10-plus members of a character's rogue scholar on the cover, it's going to feel like a big deal. It helps that it's a good-looking piece, too. As for prose comics, my belief is that the problem lies in the comics, not the prose. I don't care to read a comic book script converted into prose form because the return on the investment of time and effort as a reader is always less than the reward for reading the plain comic. Give me an editorial content all day long. I get all sorts of behind the sound. I'm sorry. I get all sorts of behind-the-scenes details and theory related to comics. Tell me in the text that Ronnie Raymond is dribbling a ball and I get nothing a picture couldn't communicate more quickly and with greater quality. If a comic writer is going to do prose, they have to dive deeper into the character's internal lives or express something in words that cannot be properly conveyed through the image alone. For instance, I've never been a big Tarzan fan, but I sprang for a prose miniseries by Joe R. Lansdale years ago that opened my eyes to the character because he could describe Tarzan with a level of detail that made me appreciate Appreciate his strength, ferocity, and intellect in a way swinging from vines and brooding never could. You know, Frank, sometimes the meds are working and sometimes they are. In this case, I think the meds were working because he makes a good point. In that comic, other than Firestorm struggling with the illusions and stuff like that, we don't really deep dive into his psyche or anything like that. Like, everything that was written in that, for the most part, probably could have been told with pictures. You know, so that's a very fair point, Frank. So, well, uh, well done being on point, sir. Uh, then we heard from Michelle Fife, a writer and artist of Capra and past guest of the JLI podcast. He goes, I recently got that Firestorm manual. Not the biggest fan of texting comics, but I'm a huge Ernie Cologne fan, so that was a must. Cool. Yeah, very cool. I love Ernie Cologne, too. Uh, Michael, Michael Wagner writes in, will be my first time reading Aquaman since Time and Tide. That's a long time ago. He says, <laughs> just bought everything from Rebirth to Current. Oh, wow. wow. Michael, that's a huge, that's a big purchase, dude. Oh, uh, yeah. You're going to love it, man. You're going to love it. I bet it reads great in trade form, too, like that. Or, or you know, save the tra- save the floppies and read as a trade, whatever. But, that's a lot uh, of man, though, between Time and Tide and Rebirth. that's He missed out on all the Jeff Johns, Ivan Reese, Joe Prado stuff. Like, all the Peter David stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's missed a lot of stuff. So, but you know what? I mean, the 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 Dan Abnett stuff is so clean that I'm sure he's not gonna have any problem picking it up. I mean, no, you know. no, no King of Atlantis. Well, see, I don't know. Maris hot. Uh, then we heard from a, a blast from the past. Our old buddy Manjit Denjal. Remember him? We haven't heard from mm-hmm, him in ages. Mm-hmm. He says, finally, this is what. <laughs> this is after my description of the annual. He goes, finally, that's what the annual is all about. Well, from a ten thousand foot level, at least, it's only taken thirty years. <laughs> it was a bit confusing. I'll give you that. 
And then I uh, want to give some quick shout outs to several people who helped promote our uh, episode 188 on social media. You know, that's either uh, sharing it on Facebook or retweets on Twitter. There are a lot of other folks, but here are some, just a few, going to shotgun through these. Uh, thank you to Barry Reese, Chris Franklin, Coffee and Comics, Con Freak One, David, David Ace Gutierrez, Dika Black, Enemy of Atlantis, Jeffrey Brown, Jeremiah Parker, John Doe, Joe Slab. <laughs> Justice's First Dawn, Con L, <laughs> L. Horton Tyrell, Laurel Martin Flower, Longbox Crusade, Martin Gray, Metahuman, Mike Peacock, Pietro Blaximov, Read More Comics, Rolled Spine Podcast, Vishnu Gana, Warlord Worlds, Willie Yarborough, and Zoom Yukonori. Thanks, guys. We really, really appreciate it. Rob, why don't you tell these nice people at home where they can go and uh, to leave their comments so that we can read them on the next review episode. Our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com. And don't forget, if you want to get a question in for episode number 200, use the contact form there so you can send us a private message and we will get it. And once we collect all the questions, we will then answer them on Fire and Water Podcast number 200. Awesome. Cannot wait. You can find Rob at Aquaman Shrine on Facebook and Twitter, along with several other handles, uh, Film and Water Pod, Pod Dylan, Treasury Comics. Uh, and then I added a new up. one. You did not. I did. Superman, Superman Minute. Superman Movie Minute. Superman. After all this, I'm not going to add a di- I'm gonna, not going to add a digest cast. I can't. There's no more email addresses left in the world. <laughs> so Superman gets that kind of treatment, huh? Are you done? <laughs> Never. <Okay>. Never. <laughs> uh, you can find me as Firestorm Fan on Facebook and Twitter as well. But more importantly, you can find us both at Fire and Water Podcast Network on Facebook and then FW Podcasts on Twitter. All right, there we go. I think that's going to do it. Until next time, folks, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even towards their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in Super friends forever. Yeah. The Phantom Stranger will listen.